Hey guys, and welcome to Not Another Fitness Podcast, a space dedicated to getting to know the person behind the whiteboard. Uh, haven't done that intro in a while. I feel weird, but uh, sorry I've been out for a little bit, guys. Um, a lot of things changing, but it's all good. I have a real cool guest today on our show. Um, part of the newest MLS team, well, one of the newest MLS teams. Um, my favorite MLS team. I didn't have one until until recently. So um, without further ado, I'm going to keep it nice, short, and sweet. We have a head strength coach at LAFC, uh, Coach Daniel Guzman. So welcome to the show, dude. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No, no, th thank you for making time. I know you have a real busy schedule. If you guys are watching us uh, through YouTube, where I put the video up, um, he's actually in front of one of the training fields, and it's pretty awesome. He shared it with me before we went live, I guess. I guess we can say that. Um, and it looks awesome. Makes me wish I was there. I'm not in, like, I'm not at a field. I'm in an apartment, but it's still cool. I'm not the same type of view, but um, yeah. So um, let's get the show going. Um, I, I, I know that I know you're busy. You're a busy coach. You have a lot of stuff going on. So the premise of the show is pretty simple. You tell your story, I guess. Uh, everybody just wants to know where, or at least me, I'm always been curious in terms of like where coaches come from, because the longer I've been in the field, I've realized that we all have um, just very different backgrounds, but then we kind of ended up in the same field and it always amazes me. So, um, so yeah, dude, take it away. Cool. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. Uh, a lot of fun to just talk shop and share a little bit of my story. I guess I'll just start from the very beginning. I grew up in a family that loves sports and athletics. I uh, grew up in Santa Cruz Valley for those SoCal people that know where that is. And yeah, I think it started real early. Uh, since I was five years old, my mom would always make me and my three siblings either ride a bike or go on a run every morning in the summer, three miles. We go to the same point and back. And if you were too young to run or ride a bike, you'd be in a little uh, booster or in the stroller. And that just kind of set the tone for our life all the way until I went to high school. We'd do that every single summer. And it was kind of my mom's way of giving us some discipline and showing us that, uh, you know, fitness can be a way of life and it's a good way to keep yourself healthy. And, uh, you know, she probably is now that I'm a parent, she just wanted to exercise too. And she's like, you guys are coming with me. <laughs> it was a fun way, uh, to tell my friends, yeah, I already ran three miles today. Uh, we got to go to practice, but growing up, played a lot of sports, uh, Soccer at LAFC, we call it football. So if I refer to football, talking about soccer here, but uh, American football, basketball, baseball, played it all, really enjoyed it. But football, soccer was really my main sport. So I played in college and along my journey in college, I was able to realize that strength and conditioning was much more than just making people look good, which is completely fine. And, you know, it's a lot of people when they train, they want to look good. But when it comes to professional athletes, college my athletes, apologies. youth athletes, what they want to do is they want to try and improve performance in the field. Yeah. And I'm sure Martin, you heard, you know, growing up too, you can't teach speed. That was one of the biggest things that I always heard. And yeah. when I finally learned, wait a minute, you can teach speed <laughs> and teach people to move better and they can actually feel better. Yeah. I just thought that was a really cool thing. And I got uh, really excited about the study of the human body and how nutrition affects the body and how physiology affects the body and our biomechanics when we move. And I went down that rabbit hole. Um, from there, after college, I worked at a small place, Prevail Conditioning, which gave me a great foundation, working with uh, golf athletes, Olympic athletes, kind of the whole spectrum. And then I went to a place that you're familiar with. Uh, it used to be called Athletes Performance. Now it's called Exos down in Carson. 
and I had a lot of good coaches pouring to me there. And uh, when you first go to Exos, one thing is that you're just learning so much right from the get-go. And I think that's what attracts a lot of coaches there. Uh, from there, I worked with the LA Galaxy under the Exos umbrella. Uh, I was working with a second team and the second team head coach, they, they needed a fitness coach or a strength coach. Um, the EXO schedule was kind of filled at the moment. So I raised my hand and said, I would love to do it. I'll do it for free. I don't care. I'll be there. Uh, so as an intern, I kind of took that role. And then a few weeks later, that became a part-time job. And it was just a cool testimony to, you know, focus on getting your foot in the door and trying to do a good job and ask questions and build your relationships with people. Because the first team position at the LA Galaxy, the, the head strength conditioning coach there was taken off that summer, which I didn't know before I took the second team job. And when he took off, the same thing, I raised my hand, talked to my manager and said, I'd love to put my name in the hat. And it wasn't that they were being disrespectful to me. They just said, look, you only have two years experience. This is a big contract. So we're going to look for someone with a lot more experience. I said, okay, but I just, I'd love to put my name in the hat. And a few weeks go by and apparently the second team head coach, Kurt and also I've got just a lot of uh, gratefulness for it for him. He spoke to the first team head coach and said, you got to give this guy a shot. He's done a great job with us. He's got a passion for it. Uh, he knows what he's talking about. He probably amped me up more than he should have, but uh, the rest was kind of history. I got a job there with the first team and just got a huge experience. I felt like uh, I was drinking out of a fire hose the first six months. So it was just so much, uh, I guess, new relationships, uh, new environment, new everything that I was trying yeah. to in, you know, try and learn. How do I adapt myself in this role? You know, I, I'm the expert in strength conditioning here, but these are a bunch of pro athletes that have done this longer than I've been a coach. So how do I figure that out? What, what was your biggest surprise in terms of like that transition from, from the, I guess, from the second team to the, to the first team? So the second team was brand new uh -huh. and there was nothing set in stone. There was no tradition, no culture. They kind of had the first team expectations, but they were, they were building their own views on how they wanted to do things. Got under it. the first team umbrella. So going to the second th team, I think I had to realize quickly that there was already tradition there. The strength coach before me, Ben Yaus, had done a great job. And I had to learn really quickly that it wasn't my role to switch a bunch of things up, no matter what my preferences were. It was just to look at the demands of the sport, see where the athletes were at, and say, okay, how can I best support you where you are middle of the season and carry out that program? Uh, it was probably the best advice my dad ever gave me was just to say, you know, don't have an ego when you go in there. Even if you have a preference on a certain type of strength training with how you coach, mm -hmm. uh, you can get those things across, but focus on what the athletes need and what they're used to. And then from there, after relationships built, you can kind of bridge out. And that served me really well. That, yeah, that, that does make sense. Cause like, I mean, I, I've encountered that the different places, places I've coached, you kind of get there. And like, especially when you're a new coach, you're like, well, like I don't agree with A, B, and C. And then like you do let ego get in the way sometimes and you try and change too many things and it doesn't work. Um, so you kind of do have to take a step back and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to, like, I'm not going to be so pushy. I'll let things kind of like, I'll build relationships and yeah. then I'll try and start to make suggestions. The relationship building was a key point too. So I'm glad you hit on that. I mean, you can imagine if there's a, a pro athlete there that's been doing that for 15 years. And then there's this new strength coach, not only just new to the team, but, uh, I was very open and said, this is the first pro team I'd ever worked with besides the second team. 
you know, and so I'm here to learn as much from you as, as I want to teach you as well. And that approach went well with a lot of the guys there. Mm. They were more open to my ideas and how I thought I could best help them on the field. Sometimes having an outside perspective helps too. And although I was on the inside, I was still kind of working my way through. So it was just a really solid experience that I got to have for three years. Uh, after that, I went to the U.S. men's national team, which was a great honor. Uh, I got to go with Bruce Arena and his staff. And yeah. that job becomes much more of a managerial role because you have 30 to 40 somewhat core players that are all around the world. Mm. And they're with their clubs. They have their own strength conditioning coaches and their medical staff and their coaches and different ideas of how they want to train. And again, it was my role to not impose, here's how I think you should train when you're away from us. It was to say, what are you doing for those two months, two and a half months when you're not with us? And then when you join us, how can I keep that program going mm-hmm. as well as kind of slide you into the way that our coach wants to play? I think that's okay. the biggest challenge for most national teams, but that's the route that I took it to try and not say, okay, here's my fitness plan and my strength plan. Let's take where you're at now. And we just have to keep you going for 12 days and we want to improve your performance and maybe teach you some good habits, but it's really what the athletes open to, you know, they're there for two games at the most part. Yeah. And we have to be kind of aware of what their club's needs are and their wants so that they come back in a healthy space as it pertains to strength, fitness load, whatever it may be. So that yeah, was a so, experience. Sorry, sorry about that. I, I have two questions based off of what you just said right now. W- what's the biggest difference between or that you found coaching club and then like going to the national team? So like, w- what's the biggest difference? Um, and then what's also the biggest difference that you see from like players coming from Europe versus players coming from the U.S.? Is is there like is there a big gap between like the performance and or like the, the the I guess the quality and the fitness level from from the players, or does it just depend on on who you're getting? So to answer your first question, the difference between a club and a national team yeah. in our sport, the biggest difference is that you only have these players for short periods of time. Sometimes it's 10 to 14 days. It's a very short window that you're with them. And so you have to ask your questions, you know, what is our goal of this camp? What are our games? What's the schedule look like? Uh, if there's any type of change to programming that I'm going to try and make, is that going to create an adaptation in the amount of time we need it to affect our game? And if it's not, then do I need to see what is the strength conditioning coach doing back at their club? And how can I keep that program going? Because if I throw in too much change, they're not going to be able to adapt quick enough, especially in the weight room. So that's a, that's a big one from a strength conditioning standpoint. Uh, scheduling is a huge thing. So where are they flying into from, from across the world? Are they coming from Germany or the U.S. or Mexico, wherever they play? And so those first few days, now we're talking about you know, how can they get onto a good sleep schedule? How many hours delay might they be when they're waking up or eating? There's a lot of those types of things that maybe aren't typical SNC in the weight room or fitness work on the field that you have to think about when you're trying to bring a player into this new environment. And even the next part of that is we're not always playing in the U.S. when we're the national team. Sometimes yeah. you're in different countries that you have to figure out, uh, yeah, not just sleep and time zones, that kind of stuff, but what's the food like? And what's a player used to? And how can we try and find some stuff that can still fuel them for whatever the demands they may be up against? So that was a big change from the club to the national team. Uh, it's also a lot of communication to talk with the clubs, yeah. the players, the strength conditioning staff, the medical staff, coaches, if that relationship is there. Your second question asking about kind of the difference in uh, yeah. what like the fitness levels or the quality from different players. That's kind of what you're asking. Yeah, just... 
I mean, I, I guess like growing up, we always have this idea, right? Where like, obviously the, the, the higher level is in Europe, right? And it's like, like, for me, it's always been a curiosity to know and like try and understand what they're doing out there. Like I understand a big part of it is clubs out there might have more money so, so they can afford the best of the best, right? So it just elevates the level automatically. But like what, like what are the strength coaches doing or the strength coach teams doing that? Um, is it so different than like, does that have a big effect on what players are doing and how they're performing? Except, like, did you see a big difference in that? Yeah. So I guess what I'll answer is, uh, in my opinion, whether you're at the highest paid club in the world or the lowest paid, that doesn't make you a better strength coach or that you're doing something better, no matter how many gadgets you have. Yeah. So the second part of that is, yeah, there, there's great, uh, performance staff, medical and strength conditioning in Europe. There's also great strength conditioning performance staff in America. Yeah. So it's all there. I think what I learned is that there might be a different emphasis or different influences depending on where you're coming from in the world. Uh, there is a lot of generalization sometimes, but uh, I think a lot of it depends on what is that, what is the club's view of strength conditioning and how do they implement it into their training or what kind of adaptations are they going to? And yeah, sometimes it's as simple as, you know, do they believe in Nordics or do they not? You know, how do they want to try and lengthen FASCO length and approach that if they're even thinking that, or do they believe in high speed running or is that not part of their game model? Those are things where, you know, maybe it is more tactical. If a, if a team doesn't have a very high speed right down the middle, trying to get to go as fast as possible. Yeah. Uh, if they sit back more then maybe their high speed running numbers might be a little bit less. And so now we're talking about, posterior chain tolerance and especially when it comes to hamstring injury risk you know what are the players loaded for specifically and so i have to think through those things and think back to the national team how does the technical staff that i work with what is their game model and how do they want to play and then based off that maybe even give some flags and say okay this guy plays completely different at his club and so when we're trying to reintegrate him into this maybe i need to do more top up running with him or i need to do less with him you know the training is just enough so trying to individualize that is, is one thing when it comes to there. Uh, I'd say the cool thing is getting to know different staff from all around the world, just making connections and networking. Uh, that way, if we have a new player that might be in the uh, same league, but I don't have a connection there, I can call yeah. a staff member in Germany and say, hey, you know, do you know this, this team here? And do you know the strength coach there? Can I get a connection there? So that was the coolest thing to try and learn from all these different influences rather than saying this is, this is my way and I'm just staying yeah. to that. Saying, okay, when you train here, you only use band work and that's how you get load and a lot of sleds and that kind of stuff. How can I take that and maybe apply some of that to my training and bring some of that for the athlete? So I'd say it's not even differences. It's just, uh, you know, what is their preference almost maybe and, and how do they get the most of their athlete depending on what they have useful to them, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I, dude, I want to know what Bayern Munich are doing to their players because everybody's getting super jacked. <laughs> it's like the before and after pictures are insane. <laughs> Yeah, I know. That was, uh, you know, players all around the world see that and they start asking questions. What, what are people doing and what's new to the lift? And what I tell my guys is they probably are training consistently. You know, mm -hmm. they had the COVID lockdown, but they were probably consistently adding load. And we always tell our guys progressively overloading movements. Yeah. And if they do that week in and week out and are appropriate about it, then they can get results like that. And then, you know, there's obviously the whole nutrition side, which is huge. You know, how disciplined are they there? Are they eating the right things? Uh, and then, of course, you know, the camera angles. Can you get the right camera angle and little lotion there? Anything can the happen. Filters. <laughs> yeah, filters. So, I don't know. I always say good training, being consistent, overloading. 
pretty important stuff. So, so going back a little bit to uh, you uh, being at the men's national team, how long were you there for? And then like from, from there, did you go to um, LAFC or like what, how was that transition? So I was with the men's national team for one year, came in in January. It was a pretty short project because the goal was to make the World Cup and there was only one year left of games to the qualifying cycle. Got it. So, uh, yeah, we pretty much entered with a very low, uh, I guess I'll say our execution rate had to be very high. If we lost the game, we put ourselves in a pretty bad position to not make the World Cup. And we did a pretty good job until the last game in Trinidad and didn't go our way that night. And that's football sometimes. So uh, either way, it was a great experience. Right when that one ended, I was extremely humbled, got a call from LAFC to see if I was interested. And being from SoCal was just another opportunity to join a club that was starting fresh. They had done a great job building this culture with their supporters and yeah. with the office staff. And so the soccer operations part was really joining that journey to get players in the field for the first time. And that was really enticing to me to be with a club that at least on the field had no standards, had no values yet. Of course they yeah. had it. They were building from, you know, the three or four years before that. And we were joining that, uh, but we were trying to add to that story. So I went to LAFC in 2018 and started that ride. We actually started training out of UCLA, which is a place you know well, being from SoCal. We didn't have our yes. facility built for the first few months. So we started out of UCLA in this giant gym area that we had to bring in weights every day using multiple fields. So it was kind of like a traveling roadshow. But for me, it was like, hey, I've done this all the past year. Because when you travel around the world, you just kind of bring your gym with you or have to adapt to where you're at. So at least that part was a little bit easier for me. And now we have a great spot uh, in LA that I showed you a little bit before, but uh, that's where I've been for the past four years. And that brings me to here now. It's been a good few years. Dude, that's like, I feel like that's like this, the kind of story that everybody dreams of, right? It's like you get one place and then like you raise your hand. Cause like as young, I mean, I think as a coach all the time, like you're just always eager to learn. And it's like, it never stops kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that, like, like that's something that I learned from my mentor, uh, Joel, Joel Gunterman, who, who works at uh, LEFC, uh, not LEFC, LA Mission College. I don't know where my okay. brain's at today. LA Mission College, it's like better never stops. Um, and, and like that, that is 100% true, especially in our field. It's like so, so new. And there's, there's always like new science, new literature coming out. It's like if you're not up to date, then you're doing your athletes or your clients, whatever population you're working with, you're doing them a disservice, right? So it's like we kind of owe it to them and to ourselves to become the best ver- version of ourselves that we can. Right. And I mean, th- that's, that's how it has to be, I think. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. You're spot on, you know, someone asked me the other day when you got to the national team or the galaxy or LAFC, did you feel like you made it? And I told them the thought that thought never crosses my mind. Do you make it? You know, it's, yeah. it's like if you were on the bench for a team, right. And then you get into the starting lineup, you don't think I made it. You think now it's time to prove myself. Now it's time mm-hmm. to go to work and go win some stuff. Like you're saying, I get better every single day if you have that athlete's mindset. So anytime I go somewhere new, you know, the eyes in someone else, how great that club is, that's on them. For me, it's just here's a new opportunity to continue to improve myself professionally, personally, spiritually, and see, okay, where am I going to end up at the end of this journey? And just kind of be attentive to whatever the demands of that club are. I I agree with you 1,000%. And I think it's like no disrespect to LAFC, no disrespect to any institution, but I feel like once you arrive at a certain spot, you're like, okay, like, cool. Like, I love it. You know, it's like connecting back to like, you've never made it. You're like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm at LEFC for right now. 
how much of an impact can I, can I make? What legacy can I, can I uh, lead here? And if I ever do leave, like what's my next step? And whether that's like somewhere else in the MLS or somewhere in Europe, somewhere in Asia, because like uh, football is growing all over the world. It's like, like the process starts all over again. You know, it's like once you go somewhere else and it's like a really cool new project, you're like, okay, like now it's, I still haven't made it. Like I might get a salary bump and that's cool, but like now I have to get to work. And like, now I have to make this the best version of itself that I can. Um, so I just, I found that int- like, that, I think that's what I love about our career so much. Like you're never satisfied and it's not about just like being this selfish person who just wants more and more. I think it's just kind of like in our nature as coaches to always like make things better. I don't know. It's, I, I know I sound very redundant, but like, that's like constantly run running in my brain, like 24 seven, you know, that's, um, sure. uh, even going back further a, a bit more. So you said you played uh, college soccer, right? Or college yes. football. Where, where did you play? And like, what position did you play? So I went to uh, Westmont College, which is in Santa Barbara, small private oh, school yeah. in the NIA, and got to play four years there. Uh, so, you know, I was telling you that soccer was my biggest sport growing up. Yeah. I actually played high school football as well, which I spent a lot of time trying to hone that craft and get really good at that. Yeah. And at one point, uh, you know, I know myself, I wasn't, my buddies were pretty good. I wasn't good enough to make it somewhere big. Uh, I got to play a lot, which was great, but I basically put high school football in front of soccer as far as my training. And uh-huh. so I was walk on when I went to college and it was the same college that my dad and my uncles had gone to. And uh-huh. I didn't want to, I didn't know if I wanted to follow those footsteps because, uh, from the stories that I've heard in some film, I've seen my dad was an amazing player and it wasn't about the pressure. It was about, do I really want to go somewhere? Do I want to start my own legacy? And when I found there was an opportunity to walk on, it was just, for me, it was a, I'm going to athlete myself on and then every single day work on improving my first touch and my passing and my positioning. Um, cause the fitness in my head wasn't an issue. For me. Oh. You know, no matter how athlete you are, if you can't, uh, yeah, put in the back of that, whatever your job is in the field, it, it can be difficult. So I, Rode the bench, whole first freshman year. It wasn't easy. I had to kind of learn how to do that. Uh, learn to be humble, learn from my teammates, the older guys. And then it got a little better from there. Got to see the field a whole lot more, but really good experience at Westmont College. Really happy that I went there. And I'm glad that I was able to play a sport that I love. Did you guys ever play Menlo College? Because I, I got to coach there for a year. And like, I know, I think like two years ago, they played for like the conference final or something. Yeah, they weren't in the league when I played there, but I know okay. that now they played each other a little bit. Yeah, like I know it was like the big game, like uh, when the team was going to travel. Uh, to um, I got to I got to work with the team a little bit during the summer, just a few weeks, cool. and uh, like I know they they like I I knew some of the guys before I got to coach them, but uh, I knew like it was a big deal. They're like, oh damn, like we're going to play Westmont, like that's like that's the team to beat, or blah 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 blah. We're super stoked. So I was like, okay, yeah, they I got to go in the past five or six years, so it's been good. Yeah, it's 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 been growing for sure. So um, I actually you know what like it's funny that like. I always feel like we're we're really connected or closer to people than we than than we think. Like I played at COC, so for those of you oh, familiar yeah. with Santa Clarita, it's like Santa Clarita is basically where Six Flags Magic Mountain is at. For those of you guys that don't know where Santa Clarita is at, so think Magic Mountain. That's where COC is at. Like what, like five minutes, seven minutes away from Magic Mountain. So um, that's roughly the area that we're we're talking about. Um, yeah, I actually got to play there. 
Um, and then I went to CSUN. So, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with CSUN in Northridge. Yeah, yeah, familiar with both. I would train with COC in the summers a few years when I was at West Point because I lived in West Ranch just up the hill. So, oh, probably, shit. yeah, a lot of connection there, but I know COC yeah. pretty well. Yeah, we, we did you ever coach? Did you ever train under Coach Dose by any chance? Or who, who uh, was I the never coach at the time? His strength sessions, but I heard stories. I think one time I did, I did one of his strength sessions, I think. Okay. He's a good coach. Yeah, he's he's really cool. Wait, did you get to train under Phil then? Like Phil Marcelin, was he the coach back then? Uh, I think so, a little bit. Yeah. Oh damn, that's wild. We might have crossed paths. Who knows? <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's it's for sure. It's like it's. I'm I'm telling everyone it's like it's a small ass world. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> um. Okay, that's. I mean that that's awesome. That's a great story. So I like again like I'm gonna keep it short. Let's. I I did ask some questions on Instagram, and I know people wanted to ask you stuff. So let me pull them up and um, we'll get answering. We'll get to, to those questions. So a bunch of people asked, uh, what is the best recovery tip that you have uh, for them, whether it's a, an athlete or a general population athlete or, you know, your, your Sunday, your, your weekend warrior, what's the best recovery tip that you have? I would say you need to kind of take a step back and think about like, what are you trying to recover from? Okay. So like when people ask me, oh, should I be training just a general person? Should I be training this many days a week? I tell them, sure, if you want to, you know, that's up to you. Like how hard are you going to train versus my, some of my pro athletes are, you know, they're doing 35 kilometer weeks, of uh, total distance and there's you know, all the sprint distance, that kind of stuff. So maybe they need to recover differently. Uh, so I guess everyone says it depends. So I'll break it down like this. What are you trying to recover from is the first thing, uh, a big thing that people I think undervalue still to this day is sleep. I think there's a lot of pretty bad sleepers out there. I'm a bad sleeper myself. I got to work on that. Uh, sometimes I blame my kids, but it's probably more me staying up late on my phone when I shouldn't. So sleep, I think is one that, uh, for anyone that's had kids or you've pulled all nighters, for whatever reason, you know, when you don't sleep, you feel horrible, can't focus. Uh, you're probably drinking more caffeine than you should sleep is a, an, undervalued asset, I think, in most people's arsenal. Uh, and then the other thing would probably be, you know, nutrition is obviously a big one, so I'm not going to downplay that. It's huge, but something that can be a little more tangible is I found a lot of value in different types of breathing and meditation, and there's a ton of breathing apps now that can help give you some sort of tempo and calm yourself. But something that's really helpful for me before I go to bed is to do a brain dump, five minutes, write down everything that's in my mind on a piece of paper next to my bed. So I get it all out of my head and then do a, you know, one to two minutes of breathing. I'm not doing 30 minutes, a few minutes of breathing, and then I'll go to bed from there. Um, it's just a routine that works well for me. I don't do it all the time, but I, when I have a lot in my mind, that helps me out a lot. So sleep, I think, is an undervalued asset that people got to learn to study and figure out what's their habits, when do they like to go to bed. You know, some people say you got to get up and wake up at 5 a.m. to train. That's just not for everybody. Not everyone yeah. likes to wake up early. Um, so yeah, figure out for yourself what that means. Yeah, like I, I think sleep is for sure undervalued, especially when you're younger. So like now that I'm a, a bit older, like I got myself the whoop, like just because I feel like it helps helps keep me like in check. Like we all need that kind of accountability and getting those reminders where it's like, oh, if you want to peak tomorrow make sure you're in bed between X, Y, and Z time and wake up at this time. You're like, Oh damn, it's time, it's time for sleep. So you're going to yeah. start, start winding down. Another, another thing that I found really useful was headspace. I don't know if you're familiar with that app. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's that's another really good one. Which like it helps you meditate. And like I think growing up, I thought like meditation was funny for some reason. I'm like, dude, that's so lame. But it, like now, again, like now that I'm older, I'm like, oh damn, I see the value in meditating. It, it helps out. Um, okay, so that kind of leads to the next question. Um, one of my ex athletes from from high school asked, uh, "Where is it? How many hours should a player uh, train for?" Or I, I guess like a better. I guess a better way to ask that question is like, on average, how many hours are players training for um, professional players? Like in your case, like the LAFC athletes, how much, how, on average, how long are they training per week or day? So, yeah, I think typical teams train somewhere around 90 minutes to two hours, I would imagine. You know, I've been at three different teams and I've got friends all around the world on different teams. And so that can kind of range. If, if there's any athletes asking how long should they train for Instead, I would say, you know, to understand the intensity of your training. If you and I both train for 90 minutes, but you train way more intensely than I am, you're giving more of an intentional effort, you'll probably get more value out of that training. And maybe you don't need to train that long. So it's not just about time. You know, anyone can just go out to be on a field for three hours, but I could warm up for an hour and try and hit the crossbar for an hour and mess around and then do 10 minutes of conditioning and then be done. Yeah. So I would just more encourage athletes to look at what is the intensity of their training? What's the goal for that day? Not every single day needs to be crushing yourself so that you're, you can't walk out of the field or the court or whatever your environment is. So look at the intensity of your training and just trying to figure out that thing they call periodization. When should I push and when should I back off? Yeah. It's kind of important, right? Periodization. I feel bit. like, I feel like nowadays one of my biggest pet peeves is like, people think that because they like to train like they know how to train people or they know how to like to i guess write a program in their own eyes and it's like no like it's not it's not super it's it's not like that easy right like there has to be a rhyme and reason there has to be a purpose behind what you're doing and yeah. there's just way more that goes into yeah. it totally like my daughter's always trying to train me and my my, my son and i'm just <laughs> like man i went through all this training and you're just running me through these drills over and over again so <laughs> gotta keep people in check <laughs> yes for sure um my barber wants to know if he can uh, cut your hair <laughs> i'm not kidding oh, that's, one, that's one of the probably, questions probably because i need a haircut bad i uh <laughs> you know i've been cutting my own hair since i was in college oh, it started no money and then once yeah. i realized oh you know what i probably can spend 30 bucks in a haircut or whatever it cost yeah i was like yeah i should go for that um so yeah, sometime we can do it. I'll just, you know, let everyone know. One of my close friends is a barber. He does a great job. Yeah. Uh, Zach Hernandez stacks, but I'm open to, yeah. Anyone to help me out to work in my dome. That'd be great. Sometimes it gets Sweet. Tw <laughs> Shout out to Tweety Trims. Uh, dude, uh, I think you just got a gig in the future. So good luck right. with that. Um, three more questions, dude. Um, I think this one's pretty cool. If you weren't coaching, like what, what would you see yourself doing? Yeah. Uh, so this is actually one of my favorite questions to answer. I think one okay. thing that's really important to me is my faith. And so every step that I've gone through, I'm just trying to be open to what God's call is in my life. And that's been from taking an internship at Exos to the galaxy, to the national team, to LAFC, whatever it may be. So for me, it doesn't really matter what I'm doing if I'm using that utility to reach people, because that's yeah. what God put me on this earth to do. So uh, things that I like doing is strength conditioning. I love being in sports. 
that's great. If for some reason that was off the table, uh, I really enjoy talking finance with people, understanding how money works. I think especially for strength conditioning coaches and athletes as well. Uh, money is either misunderstood or abused when it doesn't have to be. Uh, we're growing up in this environment where we, we think we have to live off of debt, student debt, car debt, credit card debt. You got to have this credit score to do all this kind of stuff. And I know to some extent that is kind of true, but we're not really taught a whole lot about in high school, I feel like, or at least where I went to high school. Yeah. And as soon as I started learning about how money works, how debt works, what's the purpose of debt? Do I really need debt? Uh, all I know is that when I got rid of all my debt, things made, made like became more clear. Decisions that me and my wife had to make were a lot easier because we didn't have to worry about a student loan payment or a credit card payment we were working. And I'll just say it's, it's really hard to get out of debt. It's not easy because mm-hmm. especially strength coaches, they want their brand new Nikes or Adidas, mm-hmm. whatever they're wearing. Got to yeah. look fine in their kicks. And I just want to encourage you, drive the beater car, you know, wear the same shirts, wear the shoes that are worn out save your money and, and pay off that debt. So probably something in finances, to be honest. And if that was off the table, something with food, I love to cook. I love to eat. So that'd be a lot of fun. Too. <laughs> For sure. No, I, I agree with you and on all, on everything you said, I've, I've transitioned to, from like wearing Medicons to like coaching in Tevas now. I'm just like, I'm just going to coach in Tevas. Like, unless oh. I really need to wear shoes. I'm going to wear Shout shoes. Out to Tevas. Get that sponsorship going. Dude, I hope, I hope so. <laughs> That'd be pretty sweet. I've, I've actually worn nothing. Like that's the one thing I'm happy about. Like the one thing I'm thankful for, for the pandemic. Like I know it sounds terrible, but like coaching the entire day, like I feel like your feet never get to breathe. And like for this past year, I've worn nothing but Tevas and it's like, oh damn. Okay, cool. Like this feels so much better. So there you go. There you go. Coaches start coaching in Tevas. You, you feel better too. On the field, um, please just have us. I'll try that out. <laughs> you should, dude. Trust me. Show up in Tavas. And uh, if it's cold, just wear socks and your Tavas, and people for sure will make comments. All right. Uh, <laughs> a bunch of people want to know if you're a coffee fanatic. I'm big, I'm big on coffee. So they're like, is he big on coffee? If not, you guys can't be friends. That was that was that was a question. <laughs> All right. That sounds like a statement more than a question. What do you yeah. drink for your coffee? How do you like your coffee? Uh, I usually uh, make a pour over French press, cold brew. Um, I don't have an espresso machine. It's in the works. Hopefully one day. Um, okay. But are, are you a coffee fan? Uh, I don't personally drink coffee now. Okay. Oh, damn. I like the smell of coffee. The taste is okay if I had to drink it, but uh, I don't drink coffee. In, in the beginning, it just started out as something that – so my whole family drinks coffee. Yeah. My mom's a huge coffee drinker. And it was almost a pride thing. Like, I don't want to have to rely on a substance to keep yeah. me through because I had all these friends. Oh, I need my coffee. I can't last without a coffee. So for a long time, it was just a pride thing. You know, like, I don't want to rely on anything to have yeah. to be attentive, alert, whatever it may be. And then uh, now I've got two kids and I'm just like, man, I should probably start drinking coffee because they're just <laughs> that difficult to like really get going. And I still haven't jumped on it. So okay. uh, I, my mom bought me some German coffee that is 99% acid free so that it's okay. the digestive system. Yeah. She said it's great. I'm not opposed to it. One day I'm sure I'll, I'll drink it, but right now it's just water, almond milk, maybe some uh, lemonade here and there. Okay. Pretty simple. If, if you cold brew it, it's so much easier on like it. Like at this point I can drink whatever kind of coffee and it won't mess me up. But I do know a lot of people who have like, I've recommended for them to like make cold brew. 
and it doesn't mess them up. So if that's okay. the route you want to go. Yeah, I'm not going to post it. I'll say that on this podcast. I'll try a little cold brew. You there know? you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to send you some good coffee. I'm going to send some good coffee your way so you can try it. Okay. Um, and then the last question is, do you play video games? And if you do, what's your favorite console? Uh, honestly, since working some of these jobs, I haven't. Since having kids, I haven't. I yeah. used to be on COD all the time with my buddies. Uh, I just love gaming with my friends. COD and, and FIFA really were the go-to. Yeah. Uh, now it's just turned into more like app-related games on my phone that I can play with the players. So simple stuff, taking it back to my childhood days, like playing Uno on our phones on road trips, playing chess with the guys because we think it's a little more intellectually you know, stimulating. We want to challenge ourselves. And then, you know, there's always like Clash of Clans and stuff like that, but I need to up yeah. my gaming for sure. I need to get back into it. Uh, I mean, Super Smash Bros. with Kirby, I couldn't be touched when I was younger. So <laughs> there's something there. Back to it. <laughs> Uh, I, I, mean, I got one more. I just thought of this. Are, are you reading anything? Like, do you recommend like uh, any, any books that you recommend? Yeah. So uh, to preface, I've got a decent drive to work about 45 minutes to an hour both ways. So I do a lot more audible got where it. I can enjoy it in the car when I'm at home. Typically it's with the kids and the family, Sweet. but there's several good books that I've read or listened to in the past 12 months. One uh, is green lights by Matthew McConaughey, his memoir. Oh, it's one of the best books I've ever read and listened to. Really? Just really entertaining. The Audible version, he's actually speaking it. And uh, it was just a fun story to, to go along with. Um, there's a book called Measure What Matters, which helped to change some ways that I saw strength conditioning, which I read several years ago. That's a great book. Just being really specific and having kind of some objective data with how you break down your process. Um, trying to think what else. Uh, I'm listening to a book right now by Obama. I don't really identify with a certain political party, but Obama's book that he just wrote, I think it was last year. Uh, I think it's, uh, I got a blanket on the name right now, but that's been a really enjoyable book just to kind of relive history and see all the stuff that he had to endure through his presidency, yeah. the stock market crash and, uh, the bin Laden, almost trying to find him and how that went down. So yeah. all this stuff's really good. I would say measure what matters is one of the yeah. biggest ones that changed my philosophy on things. And then um, I'll have to get back to you. There's a medical book that I read. Uh, well, it's not a medical study book, but it's a story about a doctor and kind of his life. I don't want to give away the book too much, but I can get that to you in a little bit. That is one of the best books I've ever read in my entire life. Um, yeah. It's a very emotional book. I didn't know it'd be that heavy when I started reading it. Okay. But that's one, if I could ever get to name, uh, would be really good. And the last one I would say is Trust First by Bruce Deal. Uh, I'm just naming off a bunch of these, but, but these are huge ones. And sorry, the one with the doctor is called When Breath Becomes Air. I would say those are one of those books that gives you a different perspective. It just kind of changes your life. Um, that was a tough one to get through, but it was that good. I would read it every year. That's like, that's making me think, I mean, it's, it sounds like it's a totally different topic, but like, I remember the first time I saw Schindler, Schindler's List and the first time I read Night, I don't know if you ever, like, you're, are you familiar with those uh, books and I've movies? I've seen the movie when I was in high school, but I didn't read the book. Dude, that was like, that was like, like, I, I'll be straight up. Like I cried. I was like, dude, this is so sad. Yeah. So um, that, that's what that book sounds like. Um, I'm for sure going to get a look into all these um, 
yeah so i i think that that uh we're gonna wrap it up that's that's um that concludes our podcast dude thank you so much is there like any cool projects that you that you're working on currently you want to share with people or uh, just any any last thoughts uh i would say the first thing which i always try and say in every podcast uh guys like you that take the time to set up podcast interviews and do all the work to bring content to people super thankful for you guys i think anyone that listens like the best thing for you guys is to leave a review give that five-star review and reshare because it's just almost like saying a thank you to you uh, i know that i listen to podcasts all the time and when i get to meet people that do the podcast that's just really important i know to get those reviews and it's almost just a thank you to you guys so uh yeah really easy to talk to you thanks for having me on projects nothing really that uh comes to mind right now always working on some stuff behind the scenes but nothing i'm going to share yet so uh yeah i have to work on my my coffee tasting i guess that's probably gonna be the <laughs> project we'll see. sweet um so on that note yeah don't, don't log off um i'll see if i can get some info from you so i can send you some good coffee and uh, i just want to thank you for taking the time i again like i know you're a very busy person you got a lot of you got a lot of stuff going on all the time, but uh, thank you so much. It, it it really, really means a lot to me. Um, so yeah, thank you. And um, I want to thank all the listeners, viewers. Uh, thanks guys for uh, for supporting this podcast and let's see if we can get to the next thousand views. So uh, thanks guys. <laughs>